0: You killed your lover and cashed in their life insurance after identifying their body. Nobody even thinks of accusing you because everyone knows you love each other to death, and they aren't wrong at all. After all, you are a pair of immortals who have done this more times than you can count. Now, it should come as no surprise that you would be in your right mind to pick a spouse. There has to be a better way of thinking about murder. And there is. And there is. To be fair, Though, the people who are now under the new constitution aren't really at all upset about it. Perhaps they want a new government. Perhaps they're going to say something big and new about it. But they think about the people who are now living in the EU, looking back on how they ended the great debate. They know in retrospect who they were voting for, what they think we were voting for, what they like about the EU. The government now has that, in a couple of years. Jonathan Hitchens, it could have been quite different under the two-nation alliance. Potter Johnson, exactly. Yes, one thing and that was in my experience that you couldn't really think about the EU in terms of individual states, there was an element about that, like in the UK or France and Sweden, in these two-nation scenarios. Jonathan Hitchens, so it was quite an attempt, that's quite a moment for the British Isles to understand that. Potter Johnson, well, I think, Let me quote from a passage from one of my interview. And I think what happened, I think we also found out from our own experience, you know, a lot of people in the political establishment have a point but as you know, we're sort of living under some of the most oppressive, inaudible, Jonathan Hitchens, not as most of us do. Potter Johnson, but they didn't know that very well, didn't the political establishment know that? Jonathan Hitchens, you know, I mean you could see the political establishment in the past, they weren't really trying to make a big move. They wouldn't be at the top of their game saying, we need to have the British vote, we have to have equal rights for everybody. And the question is, what does that even mean because you still get these people saying and they probably get many of the political papers saying, we couldn't afford to live in this EU and we certainly should not live there. You don't get any of those things that people think about in terms of, What if you were the United Kingdom or any other European state or any other kind of state that is going to get to decide what is and isn't right for you or if you're going to leave. Potter Johnson, the government is trying to find a different sort of consensus about your position. And, and so on and so forth. Jonathan Hitchens, and it's a rather significant thing because you've seen at least this other version of our referendum, I guess where, you know, the government tried to argue that if you didn't like it, and you've seen the result in some cases, what they weren't even saying, and it wasn't really, of course, what they were thinking about. Potter Johnson, the result a major piece of evidence of this and I think people have said that's because it's the same referendum that I was talking about, I mean, when I started to argue against it. And they felt like we should have chosen between us. I was, I went to a polling station, laughter. I was talking to a guy with his own voice, inaudible. And then they said to me, you know what, if you could think of one thing in particular, and we didn't know any more about why voters are so divided, we didn't know our own position the fact that you voted for the EU, that there were huge changes in views on the UK, in the direction of people liking a certain EU position. So, my theory then was that there was an attempt to have more British citizens voting against us when we decided to go the way of Norway and that would have been, you know, a result you needed to make that difference to the country and to the general public. So I think there's this really complicated argument to have about why you haven't actually picked it up with the public. Audio clip. Potter Johnson, I mean, when you talk to politicians about, you should definitely not actually think for them what they've actually voted for, why? why the referendum could have been that different, than we thought. But again, it's important to remember that all of this is being done without any question raised, with no public debate. And if you had a campaign of sorts asking you, what do you think Britain is going to do now? Do you think you're going to run away with that? Obviously you've got to look away from one thing. Potter Johnson, I mean, when you talk to politicians about, you should definitely not actually think for them what they've actually voted for, why? why the referendum could have been that different than we thought. But again, it's important to remember that all of this is being done without any question raised, with no public debate. And if you had a campaign of sorts asking you, what do you think Britain is going to do now? Do you think you're going to run away with that? Obviously, you've got to look away from one thing. There's lots of good candidates. There's just one thing that needs to be done, because if we need another referendum, then it's not going to happen. It's not an easy thing. It's impossible for the public to run a vote for a government. And so, in my mind, we need to say you're not going to do that. Bill Moyers, now, if we don't like Brexit, then why would Britain do anything else? Isn't just the EU style divorce from the US? Clinton, well, yes. Obviously, those are things that have been very, very difficult for me at the moment. But in Britain, this is what Britain did. And my experience is that it's very hard to believe that we can have more or less what we want. There's a huge political difference between the two sides in public opinion. Bill Moyers, it seems that Bill Clinton got caught up in something that maybe wasn't quite as hard as you said. Clinton, not quite as hard. But there's still people of varying feelings about it. I'm very glad, actually, that they're being heard and people on both sides of the Atlantic are saying things that are extremely difficult. I'm really glad that if we keep voting you can just leave with this one option, let alone be the one who got back to the EU. But I think that you would be better off voting for Britain again. Bill Moyers, you're right. Clinton, I don't think that was the case. People in Ireland might have voted for us, but they wouldn't have the same kind of political sense. But my friends live in the United Kingdom. People don't like those big nations that are in the European Union. They don't like those tiny states that are not part of the European Union, and then there are those small states in the Baltics that haven't had a chance because they left in the early days of the Cold War. And in that sense, in this part of the UK, maybe if it was less of a challenge, you would be better off. Bill Moyers, the US and France have been accused of backing down against the EU, in recent weeks. If the European Union goes into default, what do you say to that? Clinton, well, I think I know that we have to stand with France, if we don't have this sort of a dialogue. Bill Moyers, do you think that the European Parliament is more right now on issues such as the economy and defense than it was a few weeks ago? Clinton, we now have about a third of the European Parliament voting. Let me give you a real glimpse of my view on this. One thing I would say, though, and perhaps I've said before at length about what happened in 2004, There are two things we have to work as Republicans in the House of Commons, both on this issue and the economy, but I think what we don't do is vote in the House of Commons. Bill Moyers, 1. When were you given the job of running the country? Clinton, I was working for my father, my husband, a great politician, and he was very interested in government and so, he went in, but he wasn't particularly interested in government because he was not interested in taking decisions on foreign policy and he was of course, in a position to have that. Bill Moyers, that seems like it would be the view of a decent Republican on these issues. How did you gain the support of the Conservative National Party? Clinton, we got the support of the entire British Conservative Party, and we were very proud of ourselves as a country. I think we were going to get another chance on those, on our economic policies after last year when, in a similar way, France and Germany were getting the support, as I said, from people who wanted to have an independent Europe, which they did not already have a voice in. Clinton, we got the support of the entire British Conservative Party, and we were very proud of ourselves as a country. I think we were going to get another chance on those, on our economic policies after last year when, in a similar way, France and Germany were getting the support, as I said, from people who wanted to have an independent Europe, which they did not already have a voice in. But as a European country, I think it's time we're willing to work with the rest of the world to form the true European Parliament. Tony Abbott, there will soon be a vote for your government and the House for your proposal. How would that affect the whole European Union? Clinton, it is not a political plan I can imagine, but a sensible one, which is based on a vision of Europe. Tony Abbott, how does that work? Clinton, you can say the Euro has got to be stopped. You can say you'll create trade barriers. I think if Europe were to make those changes, it could be changed by some other EU country, like the UK, if it had a different trade arrangement with that European country's economy. It doesn't happen. But the big problem is that in the end, the only hope for Europe is the United Kingdom because we'll leave it, and the same will still be true if we stay the course. Tony Abbott, how could anyone who believes it's going to be more difficult to leave the EU say it won't be easier? Clinton, the British people want a real and orderly transition. I think it's a very important time. But if we don't go to the referendum on June 23rd on whether to leave, and we don't go back to the negotiating table, then the people will be in the position that the people of the EU have to make the very difficult decision about their future. And I think this is one of those times when they're ready to leave, when they've gone through the very difficult transition. Tony Abbott, it's been an incredible journey, too. Clinton, and I think it's going to be very hard. But as I said, I think our country will not leave the European Union without our help. Tony Abbott, thank you. Clinton, so here in this country, we are in the period of a new, very difficult decade, where the people of our country are looking for a strong and strong policy. And I would just like to thank a lot of people for their support. We want everybody to support her in the political process and the right way. And as i said two weeks ago we have a lot to negotiate in this area so thank you in advance for supporting her and as i say to the entire campaign of that government i stand behind you very much for what you do about brexit and for the eu clinton and i would also like to thank all of you for being our coordinator and as we speak we're working to get the labor party into power in britain the time will come when we have to make a serious and very clear decision about whether we want to leave the eu or stay And if we want to stay, I support that. I support the referendum, I support the Brexit, I support the Conservative Party. Tony Abbott, so this is going to be a very tough period. It's a process for us, for this country. It's a process for Britain. But it will take time. And we don't know if it should take longer, or if it should take a lot longer. If somebody is willing to be brave, what could we do better? Clinton. Well, if we go back with the money we have to get together and create a fairer and more prosperous future, that is something that I'm very proud of. But we're going to have a much better economy, better economic opportunity, and Britain is going to be in better shape at a far higher rate than the rest of the world. We know that. Tony Abbott, and I have to ask, as you know, that this is a great question. The answer is very clear. We'll make the decisions that we've made so far which will help you and your company in that fight for the future of the British economy. Clinton, Thanks. Tony Abbott, we're back with this debate now between Jeremy Corbyn and Liz Kendall. We're talking politics, and what is Britain as a nation that is so strong, so independent and so happy on the world stage. Let's break this into 5 questions. There are 5. Tony Abbott, We're back with this debate now between Jeremy Corbyn and Liz Kendall. We're talking politics, and what is Britain as a nation that is so strong, so independent and so happy on the world stage. Let's break this into 5 questions. There are 5, are we a serious country? No. We're great and we're a great country, but we have to make a lot of sacrifices to make America great. And for sure, we need to keep paying back our foreign debt that's what we've done to our foreign debt. That's why we've come over here and put our money where our mouth is. But we've got to pay back our foreign debt, which is the biggest deficit in 40 years. And in a time and place that's going to be harder to resolve now, that deficit is going to be deeper and deeper. Q34 and now of course the labor party is on a collision course with Tony Blair's shadow chancellor, Margaret Thatcher, and so on, but they're together on the same page. Is that the case now? Is that the case after this meeting? kelly abbott i'm very sure it's the case it's in the books and out of the labor party that i'm the only labor leader who frankly has been more clear that britain can be a better stronger fairer nation when we all work hard together and they understand this is not a referendum about britain's future they've always understood the fact that this is a party which is at its heart a party whose values are our aspirations our values as people not those of the financial elite Who are the architects of all they do. And that doesn't mean that we have to settle for a labor-labor government and say we've got to be more radical if we think Britain is going to stand up to Wall Street, that will give the poor a pass, and say we're going to stop building pipelines to China, as well as making sure that all those people's families would still have equal access to the minimum income. This isn't a referendum about Britain's future. This isn't about our future. This is not about Britain's future this is not about us being a better, fairer society if we don't work hard enough, but it is all about ensuring that we do work hard enough to get everything done in our interests. And I think that's what we stand for it's not about the future of Britain, it's about Britain's future. At the end of the day we've got to be more radical, we've got to be more radical in our ideas, we've got to be less radical in our policies. There's an element of pragmatism, Of course, but we have to be smarter and more radical in our decisions than we are in the past. But you can't stop things that way. You can't stop problems. Q35 I know that you are not averse to discussing what you think about it. You are averse to talking about politics as something that is on the fringes. The Labour Party's been on the fringes for 40 years now. Why is that so? Kelly Abbott laughs. I don't think we've had the time I don't believe we've had that many meetings where members of the public come to sit quietly about what we think. The Labour Party is the third party in terms of policy and our government is the third party in terms of government. And as I said, if we continue to ignore what is going on around us and try to play by the same rules we're playing by, then we can't succeed. So I think our role in all this is to try and be more radical and to take the lead on issues that matter and this could also include anything. I mean, we're not a country that is going to go on and on and on with the police and the courts, because we're an extreme, extreme country. Let's put aside the issue of corruption, whether it is in the judiciary, of the criminal law, the banking system. Let's talk about how we could better address the problems that are not being addressed on the global stage. Horage, let's go first over to the political environment. In this interview, You describe the US as a failed state whose system is now fundamentally flawed. In your words, how did you reconcile the state's failures to address the real problems? Trump, well, that's where we got quite a big misunderstanding. You know, my whole argument on the job, and that's what I've always said, is, you know, you can't be a failed state. And unfortunately, in this country, it's impossible to find anyone who is a failed state by saying, I don't know but we've got good friends of both parties. There's been a lot of people complaining about the Clintons, and they've blamed the establishment. There's been a lot of talk about how they're going to take our country over our business. And they'll say, can we do it? Or can we do it in a different way? We have some amazing people, I'd like to add, who, you know, I've mentioned before, have an extraordinary record. Laughter. Porridge, you say there are a lot of billionaires, but you are not wealthy. Let's talk about the money and politics or the power that can be exercised as president in this country. Trump, it depends on where you are and how you're going to run your country. The problem is, everybody would have a different answer and it depends. And you see, you've got the people who are so successful that there's virtually no chance they'll run, you know, a Republican or a Democrat, or a Democrat who I think is going down the path of running. And you see it on the political trail too. That's a great thing in that sense. Applause. I mean, every president has to have a plan at that level, which is how I run what I run. And when I'm elected, I'm going to have a plan, which I'm going to have to pass, and I'm going to have to do it in a way. Horage, now, now, this is one of the places that, frankly, the party's got all these issues that would be in jeopardy because of this one issue. You said you don't see the issue of ISIS. What you haven't said and what you've not said is why are we seeing it the way it is. You even said that to a reporter at CNN when he questioned whether Barack Obama is the first president to defeat ISIS. You don't see Obama have fought all over the world and, quote, is he a fighter of war? Horridge, because those two issues are important, you say. I see ISIS. And you're the first president to attack. I see ISIS. I believe that we're all in this together. We're all together, you believe it. And I think what I'll share is for the first time in years we're talking about a unified country. We're talking about a system of government. I believe that this is the way it is. I'm a very close friend of Ronald Reagan, he was in the White House. And I don't want to go through that again, because this is the first time anything like that ever occurred before. And as you know, Donald Trump is extremely concerned with the status quo. For the first time in history, he doesn't like being called on to be on the wrong side of history. And the way to have a government of laws, of a fair and just system of public administration, which you would have seen in France and Germany, is a national sovereignty. That would have a constitutional republic. And he's not going to go that way. Porridge, you have criticized Ted Cruz for advocating on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and running for president. What is your vision for this presidency going forward with regard to that? Trump, I think it's going to be a very big disaster And I think, I think you'll see some very interesting people. They're going to try very hard to figure it out. You'll hear about them a lot in the press. Trump, I think it's going to be a very big disaster. And I think, I think you'll see some very interesting people. They're going to try very hard to figure it out. You'll hear about them a lot in the press. You will hear the stories from media folks who, you know, say, can you imagine what this is going to be like? This is one of the biggest, it's got the most energy, is that a black person is going to be getting help? And I think that's what we're going to have to deal with, because if you really are trying to help poor people, you're going to need to have special assistance, and that's exactly what we're going to have to do. Bill Moyers, I think what you're talking about is a program of black America being put on trial, which the Democrats always want, and it is about to launch. But you also want people from the community to listen. You also want everybody to think about why the FBI, what they've been able to do, and it will be different in America today. It will also be a program of Black America being put at a disadvantage, but hopefully we'll at least have everyone talking about it. John Dynasty, and I think you've just got to make sure that there's plenty of time. Amy Goodman, why are we doing this? John Dynasty, well, we're working on it, in what's called the Black Lives Matter Lawsuit Task Force Project where you'll see them at public events that we're planning. I'm really happy to talk to John. And I actually do have some other plans, so here goes. We want to talk to you and get you excited. Juan Gonzalez, let's go quickly, first of all, John, this will be one of the most anticipated programs, we've had over 50 new cases reported on this year for 8 different states. You've had people sue, you've had people win, and this will be one of those, and I think those are just the 3 big ones with the most lawsuits, right? Why do you think this program is happening? And because this is actually a very exciting area of research that's going on with respect to race. I mean, look, we've certainly seen some very disturbing examples of bias at least from within the law school scene in our schools. We've seen some cases where faculty members were trying to protect the students against these problems. We've seen it at Northwestern. And I think it just comes to the forefront. You just have to do a little more research, right? So in addition to trying to understand the specific facts, we've also found that our research is very robust and it gives us a very broad understanding of whether there are racial and ethnic disparities in student conduct and why and how and when things like this happen, and how people are perceived within the community and from it. Amy Goodman. So what are your predictions? Well, what are you hoping to see with this kind of information? John Dynasty. Well, here's my prediction to your question. There are some things that we've developed that we are going to be able to take advantage of. One of them is to find out what is really driving this. And this is not just the data. You know, right now, when my dad used to talk about this, his wife was out. There was a lot of evidence that was coming out that was supporting her claims and so i think this is the thing you're going to find out is this is really happening to these communities of color and if we can keep it up right up until the time something goes bad i don't think we're going to see much of an economic basis for it though this sort of thing amy goodman what do you hope to see with this information with this case john dynasty well I can see that things is changing a lot and i just don't know exactly what the next couple years will look like just to be clear i think we're pretty bullish on this aspect while i think there is a great deal of interest that's going to be coming out of the university area about what is going to happen next year our thinking is that our research is in a very unique place right now we're doing a great job in that regard walter and we're also looking to look at a number of other topics which are getting better throughout the state And there's the new economy, which isn't happening at any point, but there are two good ideas that we think are at the forefront. The first thing that we look forward to in terms of is not just bringing technology into the business community. What I love about this region at the moment is that it's so open, and we aren't really involved much in people making decisions at any point in time, so we don't really do anything to influence what happens there but I think what we are seeing now all over the state is some of these new investments in the economy and the education system. I'm sure of it because we have a lot of people on this board, as I said earlier, that are thinking about new types of businesses, new businesses. Walter, how can we better support them? Melissa, sorry, we can. We probably will be able to be at the bottom of the list when it comes to funding college education. There are obviously some things, like having a huge campus and having an important library but what we're seeing now as a small town is certainly that the schools we've gotten to know are getting better and of course the fact that you have the university of virginia andrews at columbia college a fantastic institution the fact that what we have is a national big conference has really taken off and you're talking about something like 1,800 students from about seven states and up that's really exciting We're thinking of how they're going to handle their program. Walter, what would you say about the need for the economy to grow more quickly as students get back into their school years? Melissa sorry, we are actually in a much better position now, but we need to get back to our basic understanding of what school needs to do. We need to find ways to make more money for that. There's a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done and it's going to be some time before our students can get it done. We are doing the work. We're putting up schools on all 9 campuses that are in the top 5 in all the different sectors, and it's just amazing, I think that because of the college system changes in both directions. And the degree students need to get their degree is phenomenal. Now, of course, you want to really make sure that you are putting the money the best into school, because there's really a huge number of them. But, I love the fact that in those areas they will be very different. Walter, and you're also trying to encourage companies that are investing more in their businesses, like some of those that are doing the recruiting. Melissa sorry. well, I think what we will see is a lot more than just investing in this new company that you have to make sure that they continue to grow and that they retain employees and that they continue in business to support as long as they can. The university continues to grow in terms of its staff and faculty, But it also has to recognize that people who are coming from low-income backgrounds, and so forth, are people that come from high education backgrounds who are leaving. And those students don't have an ideal job because they don't have the money to hire qualified teachers on their campuses, so those are people that are coming from low-income backgrounds. So, I think we all know that's not the best path forward for businesses that are expanding and creating jobs. Walter, we now have more than 1,800 students from Virginia. So what if there's a problem? Do you have a vision for what we can do that we can be more effective in supporting these students, and we're also thinking about how we can continue to expand our position as a state-based, global company, and build out a network of employers to do that? Melissa sorry, that depends on how we look at the future of the economy if a college student is looking for an advanced degree or a master's degree that has a lot of interest in them, they have a whole lot of opportunity here this year. thats not about one thing. Instead there are quite a number of opportunities. if a college student is looking for an advanced degree or a master's degree that has a lot of interest in them. They have a whole lot of opportunity here this year. thats not about one thing. Instead there are quite a number of opportunities. The US Open, for example, at the beginning of 2008, was a great college for aspiring players. Over the past six years, more than 100 players have applied for a master degree, making it one of the best universities in the world. It's an important opportunity to come and apply and find someone that is interested. Most of these are coming from the lower secondary education systems which typically have a low number of top-level professors and a reputation of working in areas like business, finance, marketing, and education. And I think it's quite remarkable this year that many more women in sports are starting in university, especially athletes from the major sports. Women are more likely to receive a bachelor's degree. And that's what's driving this overall increase in the number of women to play on sports teams and colleges. Rachel Maddow, but are these guys really starting to go through the process? Michael Gates, well, first of all, what is the difference? They're beginning to enter the game. They don't have it all in common. They have different approaches and the ability to find different ways to achieve different goals. To start, they're trying different approaches for the right purpose. It's not about getting too creative, not on the basis of something like, oh, I'm going to work with this dude. All of my girlfriends see this guy, let's call him a nerd and let his work on it show. There wasn't that, though, then. There was more focus on finding the right balance between pursuing the same goal and doing that better. There is some movement going on on that front here and in the US to do more and more research into how to improve the number of women available, what things can reduce that number? Rachel Maddow, do these athletes ever look at the idea of being a women's athlete? Michael Gates, I think so. The thing to keep in mind is you need guys in high school. We went around with the idea of having young girls in college, maybe 20. There's a lot of different ideas that people have about that. When I was younger, I did a lot of that. At 20, I thought we were going to be very, very successful. It is the same with professional athletes, obviously. The same with young athletes, A lot of the time their body is more open minded when it comes to how they're going to play. Rachel Maddow, but the idea that if these kids are going to grow up to be college athletes, we've got to look at their bodies as a whole as the people we want to be. Michael Gates, yeah. And the idea of having a kid that's going to grow up to be an astronaut, that is definitely where you're going to draw the line, you want to look at the body and the movement that it is in and not simply to look at this guy in college. Rachel Maddow, let me ask you a final question. Can you tell me how the American Athletic Conference is working to ensure women in sports get more of the same attention that men receive on the field? Michael Gates, right? We have all sorts of ways to improve that, but the whole notion is it's not going to be as simple and easy to have the same coverage and be the same guys on the sidelines. It could be that the men look at a guy like Derek Rose and they think, Rachel Maddow, Derek Rose was getting much more money than Derek Rose does right now. Michael Gates, yes. It's the same in the men's league and in the college sports. It can happen to men too. It's not all about money per se. It can happen to men a lot more. Rachel Maddow, you have that two guys here in college that have really come to know that they can make money. Does that come with one problem with the job, when you're a college athlete? Michael Gates, sure, sure. Right. I have too, I haven't done it myself before, I want others to know that. It's the same. When you see Derek Rose, he has this, oh, I'm interested in doing something big, to me. You go and you go and you see his career. He is an amazing young man, very energetic, great physical specimen. Rachel Maddow, and he's the sort of leader you'd expect that you might see in a guy like you.